Some problems just can't be fixed. Uh, like my daughter, uh, Madison. She is, uh, she is so beautiful. She is. Like all of my kids, they're beautiful because they take after their mom. And um, they are so sweet and everything. But she, I swear, she knocks stuff over all the time. She just can't help herself. She's just constantly, you know, stumbling, knocking. I hope she's not in here. Good grief. That would be terrible if she was in here. I don't want to embarrass her. And by the way, any of you guys, if, if you do uh, look at her, I will beat you to dust. <laughs> but she just knocks things over and she can't help herself. And uh, we're on the plane traveling back because Mindy came with the kids uh, earlier because I don't like to travel with children. And so... <laughs> Me and Madison came over separately a week later, and uh, we're on the plane. I just got these new headphones, and I had my phone in my hand, and of course, she spills her, drink, her water all over me. She's sitting next to me, and she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, like that makes me dry. <laughs> and she picks up her napkin, and she starts wiping down the, the tray table. I'm like, honey, I, I don't care about the tray table. <laughs> I care about the iPhone that's soaked, right? And the new headphones, everything. We tested it all out, made sure it was all still working. Everything was fine. And she's like, man, I'm really sorry about that. She reaches for her water and knocks it all <laughs> over me again. <laughs> At this point, she's not even sorry. She's just laughing. You know, she just... Thinks it's so funny. Oh my gosh, there are some problems that really just can't be fixed. But uh, having trouble with sin and your flesh and the world and the devil in this life, that is not one of them. That is not one of those problems. That's actually a problem that can be fixed. And I'm not saying necessarily that it's easy. Uh, but the answer is simpler than what we would like to admit. If you would turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 19, I want you to look at when Paul was in Ephesus. And just to give you a little bit of background real quick, Ephesus is much like the city that Mindy and I and the kids live in. It was a city that is uh, filled with all kinds of spiritual wickedness, witchcraft, and uh, it's something that we see uh, in our city on a semi-regular basis. And it was filled with that. It's probably one of the cities in Paul's time that would have rivaled Rome, not just in its size and in its power and influence, but also in its decadence and its spiritual wickedness. And you can see in the passage here in Acts chapter 19 that there's a lot of spiritual wickedness that goes on, a lot of witchcraft and those kind of things, the dark arts and all of that going on in this city. And this is where Paul is preaching the word, and this is what he's up against. And so I think what we can see in this passage is really how it is that we can have power over the devil in our life. Isn't that fun for the morning? <laughs> we can see, yeah, we'll fix that right now. All right, so before we do, uh, I want us to pray, and then we're going to get into this because we do need to be uh, prayed up if we're going to tackle this subject quickly. Father, Lord, I pray that you please help us. Help us, Lord, to have ears to hear what your Holy Spirit would say to us through your word. 
And I pray that you would help me, Lord, to step out of the way and to let your word speak for itself. And most importantly, Lord, I pray that by your grace that you've given us with your Holy Spirit, with your word, with the church around us, that you would help us, Lord, to take what we hear and to do it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so Paul is proclaiming the word. That's what it says here. It says, and he went into the synagogue. We're starting in verse 8. It says, and he went into the synagogue, and he spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing, persuading them concerning things of the kingdom of God. And it says, and when divers were hardened, and they believed not, they spake evil of the way before the multitude. And he departed from them, and he separated the disciples. And he says he was disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. And this continued by the space of two years. And I had a little bit of historical background there on that when he was in the school. They would talked about in these uh, few documents that I read, a few journals that I read, that they were saying that uh, they gave an idea of his daily schedule, which I found really interesting. You probably, maybe you wouldn't think that's so interesting, but I like to geek out on stuff like that. And I think it was really cool that when he was there, he would kind of be preaching in the morning for a long time, but then a lot of the people would typically take kind of the afternoon off, and then they would kind of work again in the evening uh, uh, before they would go home in the later evening. And so this is kind of the schedule that he took, and he was preaching in the morning in the school, and then he would take off kind of in the afternoon, and he would do his tent-making work, and then he would come back and he would preach for a few more hours in the later afternoon before he would then uh, take off from the school, and then he would go and he would go house to house teaching people as well as doing his job. Now, the reason why that's important to me is that this guy was working, right? I mean, this was no light schedule. He was working, and he focused all of his attention. And this, it says that this went on. He kept up at this pace for two years. Two years is how long that he was doing this. By the space of two years, and look at the result. It says, so that they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. It says, so that all they which dwelled in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus. That's amazing, isn't it? This guy focused his attention. Now, don't forget, this guy's capable of miracles. We see that in the next verses. He's capable of miracles. Where did he focus all of his time? In the morning, then he has to go out, he's got to work, got to make some tents because he's... Uh, pay in his own way. And then he comes back, he preaches a few more hours so that he can then take off. Why? So he can go home and he's going to binge on Justified or some other... Ne- Justified's really good, by the way. Cool. We don't have a lot of cowboys in London. But he, goes, he doesn't go home and binge on Netflix, right? He goes from house to house so he can preach some more. This guy is preaching the word, preaching the word, preaching the word. Now let me tell you, as a church, that is how you overcome the devil in any society, is by preaching the Bible, preaching the Bible, preaching the Bible, and you just preach the Bible. And when you get done and you have a time for a break, you use that break to preach the Bible some more. I'm telling you, if you do that, that is the way that you overcome the wicked one in the world. And we're going to show you how that plays out. 
here. Now we had, of course, some, a few miracles here in verses 11 and 12. It says that God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul so that from his body were brought into the sick handkerchiefs and aprons. The diseases departed from them and evil spirits went out of them. Paul was a supernatural person. He was an apostle and he had these confirming gifts that were there to confirm because they didn't have a Bible. They couldn't listen to what Paul said and then go to the Bible and confirm what he was saying was from God. The only confirmation they had was as an apostle, he was able to perform these miracles. And his job as a tent maker required that he wore these aprons, you know, and he always had a handkerchief to wipe the sweat or to wipe whatever he was doing. And so he always had this and people would literally come and, and take them from him and take them to sick people or take them to demon possessed people and, and they, they would be healed just by virtue of the fact that they belonged to Paul. And these people were, it was confirming to them that he was in fact an apostle and that what he was saying was from God. Now you had some guys that saw this, these sons of Sceva that you see in the next passage, and they think to themselves, this is a pretty cool trick. And they're looking at this as an opportunity, not so that they can get the word out and affect people's lives, but they're looking this, at this as an opportunity that they can actually make some money off of this. They can actually uh, get some power and some influence. We saw the same thing happen to Peter, right, by Simon when he was up in Samaria. And, and Simon, the sorcerer, sees Peter has this ability and that has the Holy Spirit. And he's like, man, if I give you this money, would you give me this too? They, they wanted this power. And so these guys thought, well, we can go and do what Paul does. And I think this is part of the funniest part of the whole uh, chapter in verse 13. It says, then certain of the vagabond Jews says they were exorcists, right? They took upon them to call over them that had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, we, says, saying, we adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preacheth, that uh, it says, and there were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew, a chief of the priests. Now, by all accounts, historically, I can't say this for sure because it doesn't tell us in the Bible. And if the Bible doesn't say it, then we can't really know it for sure, okay? But we see in history that it tells us that more than likely, uh, these guys were self-appointed. Appointed. That's what it means when it says that they kind of took upon themselves to do this. They were self-appointed, and most likely, even this title, this chief of priests among these vagabond Jews, uh, that it was a self-appointed title. These guys were just taking this up, and they were doing this as a sideshow so they could do this for more money and for more power and influence. And so they go into people that are demon-possessed. And so the problem with these guys is that they stumbled onto the real thing. That's what happened. You know, anytime you have a sideshow, you always got to make sure that the person that's being exercised, so to speak, uh, they're part of the gag, right? They need to be on your side. You need to know. That's why they always have the people that come down front to be healed. They've already been vetted so that you know that the people down here, that there's nothing really wrong with them, so that they can heal you no problem. And the problem with these guys is that they stumbled onto the real thing. And they said, we adjure you by Jesus Christ, whom Paul preaches. And it says, these seven sons of Sceva, it says that the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? I think that that's fantastic. Now that's not even the best part. That's not even the best part. He says, who are you? It says, and the man in whom the evil spirit was uh, leaped, it says, was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house. Check that out. 
naked and wounded. Now, I don't know what is going on in the house <laughs> that these guys are leaving naked, but anytime someone ends up naked, it's a good day, right? I mean, that's, <laughs> these guys are running for their lives without their clothes and the wounded, and they're thinking, man, this is not what we signed up for. I think that's fantastic. <laughs> These guys ran into the real thing, and it did not turn out the way that they had hoped. Now, the thing that you need to remember about this passage is that this is the only place that we see the word exorcist or exorcism mentioned, ever. The only time. And the only context in which we see that is when we see these jokers who are trying to perform this exorcism. Exorcism is something that's been kind of romanticized and been popularized by Hollywood and the Roman Catholic Church. But this is not something that should be in the vocabulary of the believer. We don't, we don't, I'm not an apostle. I can't do that. I can't go exercise demons. I don't have the ability to do that, and that's the reason why in all of your church epistles we have no instructions on how to do that, because that's not the way that we handle the devil. This is an example of the wrong way to have victory over Satan, but that's the way that we like. What we really want is someone to come along who has power, and they can lay their hands upon us, and they can remove a demon, and all of a sudden our problems are gone. That would be really nice, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be really great if you could come down front, Sam could slap you around a little bit, and you would go home and all of a sudden you want to read your Bible every day. <laughs> right, that would be pretty awesome, wouldn't it? If you could come home and, or come down to the front and uh, Sam could lay his hands upon you and then you would go home and all of a sudden you just, you were the kind of person that you wanted to love your wife. You didn't want to lie to her anymore. You were the kind of man that all of a sudden you just thought porn was gross. And it all happened because some guy just exercised a demon out of you and all of a sudden that sin is gone. See, this is an example of the wrong way to deal with the devil. But I want to show you the right way to deal with the devil. Okay, I want to show you the right way, and I think it's something that all of us know that we have the ability to do. So the right way to have victory starts in verse 17. And it says, and this was known to all the Jews and the Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus. And it says, and fear fell upon all of them, on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many of them that believed, they came and they confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also which used curious arts, uh, brought their books together and they burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and they found it 50,000 pieces of silver. It says, look at this, this is great. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. See, that's what we're wanting to see happen. You guys have no idea what it means to me uh, to be here, what it means to my family to be here. Where we live, um, the word of God is, is not currently prevailing. I mean, most of the guys that we would consider, like if me and Pastor Sam were, were over there and we're just hanging out, and if he was there, because uh, I know that you would appreciate his opinion, even the guys that Pastor Sam would say are the good guys over there. These guys are reformed Calvinists. Uh, they 
don't even believe in the literal reign of Christ upon the earth. Uh, they're not dispensationalists. They don't disciple. Uh, they preach topical messages, no expository preaching, and, uh, and their worship music sucks. <laughs> and these are the guys that we would say are the good guys. These are the guys that I, I get to stand next to, that I'm friends with. These are the guys that I, I would say are, you know, at least preaching something and they believe in salvation by grace through faith. They don't believe in sacramental grace and baptizing their babies and, and confusing and getting in the way of the gospel. These are guys that would, are Baptists. They baptize adults, not babies. And uh, those would be the good guys. So when I come to this place and, uh, you know, I see my brother Mike is taking a group out and going to start a church in Boston and, um, you know, it just makes me, it just makes me want to cry. And I would if I was a girl, but I'm not going to, <laughs> I'm not going to do that. But maybe later privately when you can't see me, um, but it makes me want to because it is, it, you guys are just beautiful because the word of God is prevailing in your lives, in your cities, where you're at. And it's just so amazing. And you guys don't even know. I mean, you guys are here in it all the time and you have to be careful that you don't get a little spoiled, right? Because you guys don't know what's out there and it's not good. And so the next time that Pastor Sam does something that you don't like, you know what? Just forever, he just gets a pass. He just gets a pass. You just let it go. Because, and it goes for all pastors. Pastor Allen, Pastor Tony, where's Tony at? Where's Tony? That's my man. I love you, Tony. When these guys, uh, all the pastors that are here, whenever they do something that you don't like, you know, let it go, man. Do you realize where you are? You're in a place that is preaching the Bible verse by verse. And they're applying it to their life and they're applying it to yours and you're applying it to yours and to your family and it's the word of God is prevailing in all of these cities and we don't even have any idea how rich we are. Amen. Let's not become so spoiled that we begin to quibble about the little stuff. We're looking for the word of God to prevail and it is right where you're at. You should be praising the Lord every single morning that you have the pastors that you do. Because I can take you to a city right now where it is non-existent, where it is non-existent. That's what we're looking for, is for the word of God to prevail, not just in our cities, but in your life. The word of God, this is right here in these verses, verses 17 through 20, they show us the, really the right way to have victory. It says the word of God prevailed. It overcame everything. This is how we overcome the wicked one is by proclaiming the word of God. When the word of God is proclaimed, there is victory. But now, okay, now I got to, there's a little bit of a tough bit here because I know all of us agree with that. What everything I've just said so far, okay, especially about how funny it is that they were naked. We all agree with the stuff that I've said so far, but there's a tough bit, there's a little tough bit here, because it, the word of God, when it's proclaimed, it gives us victory depending on how you respond to it. Now that's the hard part. Depending on how you respond to the word, 
makes all the difference of whether or not the word of God is going to prevail in your city and in your, and in your life. So let's look at how these people responded to it. And you'll see exactly how you can overcome the devil, your flesh, this world, in your life. Number one, it says that these people, it says that they feared the Lord. It says fear fell upon all of them. And it says that they magnified the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this, this wording is kind of used as kind of all in one. They feared the Lord and magnified the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what is the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is to depart from evil. You cannot say that you fear the Lord if you will not depart from evil. Those are two sides of the same coin. They are the same thing. It's like when I was afraid of my dad. That's all my mom had to say when I was a kid is I'm going to tell your dad when he gets home. Did anybody else have a mom like that? My mom was so sweet. She was just the, the sweetest. She was always the prettiest mom that picked up the kids at school. And she was always so sweet. And she would, you know, wouldn't hurt a fly. But my dad would. He would hurt lots of flies. <laughs> he would take pleasure in their deaths. And he'd say, she'd say, I'm going to tell your dad when he gets home. And man, that would just scare you straight. And all of a sudden, man, you're doing all your chores. You're cleaning your room. You're doing things she didn't even ask you to do. Just in the hopes that she would have mercy and not tell dad when he got home. Let me tell you something. I was afraid of my dad. And praise the Lord. You should be. You should have a healthy fear of your heavenly father. When we talk about the fear of the Lord, if we could think of it this way, the fear of the Lord is a mixture of these things. It's a mixture of afraid, amazed, ashamed, ashamed and affection. If we mix up all those things, you should be afraid of him a little bit. When you look up at the fear of the Lord, you know what it means in Greek? It means afraid. That's, it's, not, it's not complicated. It means afraid. And so you need to be afraid of him a little bit. And what that means is, it's not you're afraid he's going to do something bad to you, but you're afraid to stand against him. Who wouldn't be afraid of that? You need to be afraid, but you're amazed at what he can do and what he has done and the great power that he has. You're amazed by him, but you're also, in contrast to that, you're ashamed of your own sin and you have great affection for him because he paid for all of it. You take all of those ingredients and you mix them up into a big stew. That's what the fear of the Lord is. They had great fear of the Lord. And this is where all of your victory begins. It's not the end of it. That's just where it begins. See, the problem, the reason why you keep doing that thing, the reason why you have that secret sin in your life and the devil keeps getting victory in your life is because you're not afraid. You do not fear the Lord. You have no fear of standing against him. And so you're going to go and do it, even though you know that his eyes are upon the ways of man all the time. He always sees you everywhere you are, and you don't care. You're going to go ahead and you're going to do it anyway, because you don't have any fear of the Lord. Now, that's just where the victory begins, because it says that they believed. It says these people that believed. And this is where we always fall short it could be that the sin in your life is the fact that you don't believe what God's word says. You don't believe. The Bible says that sin is anything that is done apart from faith. 
The word, of, the word of God must be received by faith in Christ. Our problem is that we believe what our flesh has to say instead of what the Bible has to say. I remember talking to a guy one time and he was saying how that he was dating this girl that is uh, lost. And I said to him, I said, well, you, you can't do that. And he was shocked and amazed, right? And he said, why? I said, well, the Bible says that you can't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. I'm not implying that. It's explicitly stated. And he says, well, man, listen, you know, he says, I'm like 35 years old. I finally found a little bit of happiness in my life. I'm not going to let go of that just because the Bible says so. And I appreciate his honesty, but let's not judge him too harshly because don't we listen to our flesh in that same way all the time? And we're not believing what the Bible has to say, but we believe in what our flesh has to say. Isn't that exactly how the devil got victory over Eve? That was the problem is because she believed him instead of believing him. That is exactly how she got into those problems. Not, the, the word of God can only prevail in your life if you will fear the Lord and believe what he says in this book. You have to believe it, not just hear it, not just agree with it in public. You have to believe it in the sense of following it. You got to believe in it, put your trust in it. That's what these people were doing. It says that they believed in it. But third, okay, and this is probably most important, it says that they confessed and they showed their deeds. Now, this is really awesome what they did. I know now you guys are getting scared probably because this is the part that we do not want to do is we don't want to confess and show our deeds. Now, this, this means, okay, you guys, ever, you guys like magic? No, you don't like magic. Okay, well, that's fine. I love magic. <laughs> I love it when I see people do, you know, card tricks that you can't explain and they make stuff disappear, you know, and they have a dove, you know, comes out of their coat and it bursts into flames in the sky. <laughs> I think that stuff is awesome. I think it's so cool. You know, I'm like a little kid. I'm like, I have no idea how that they just did that. And after you have some guy does some close-up magic and he just makes the coin disappear and you always ask him, right? What do you ask him? How'd you do that? Yeah, you want to know, how did you do that? And what do they always say? That was a little incoherent, but I'll, I'll clear it up, okay? <laughs> it says that a magician never reveals his secrets. Now, that, you know, that's obviously, that's very practical, because if you reveal your secrets, then people know how you do the trick, and no one wants to pay to see your show anymore. So that's very practical, but that comes from a very long history you may not have known. A very long history because see, the people who are involved in magic, real magic, people who are involved in witchcraft that involve spells and the books that contain these things, they cannot, re they cannot reveal the spells because they believed if you revealed the spells, then it had no more power. That was what they believed. When it says that they came and they confessed and they showed their deeds. Now what it's telling you there is that they were coming forward and they were bringing the spells and the witchcraft and they were revealing it. They're opening up their books, they're revealing it because they believed by doing that, it would lose all of its power. When it says that they showed their deeds, it's meaning they're revealing their magic secrets. That's what it's talking about historically. I think that that's really, really important because I want you to understand that 
the hidden sin that you have in your life is like a magic spell and its power is only in you keeping it a secret. You see, whenever you have that sin in your life, you don't, you don't want to reveal it to anybody. But I'm telling you, as long as you keep it a secret, it has power. But if you will come and confess it, if you will come and reveal your deeds, it loses all of its power. And the magic spell is broken over your life. If you will bring it out of the dark and bring it into the light. Do you, if you really want to see a real magic trick, then bring your darkness that's in your life, bring it out into the light. And I promise you, immediately, it will disappear. That's all you have to do is bring it out. You have to fear the Lord, be willing to obey what his word says, and then come and confess and show your deeds openly. If you'd be willing to do that and bring it into the light, then that darkness will disappear. I want to show you a few verses here. Ecclesiastes 2.13. Ecclesiastes 2.13. I want to show you this. I love hearing the pages turn. <clears throat> Uh, that's a, that was always a favorite part of my uh, going to church, was hearing all the pages turn, listening to people in their Bibles. Now everyone's got them on devices, and I'm sitting here on a device looking at all my stuff. And the problem with that, we don't get to hear the pages anymore. That kind of sucks, but, you know, who cares? Okay, so Ecclesiastes 2.13, it says, Solomon said, Then I saw that wisdom excelleth folly as far as light excelleth darkness. It, Solomon says, in the same way that wisdom always overpowers foolishness. In that same way, he says, light always overpowers the dark. It always excels the dark. That's an absolute truth in your light. Light always overpowers darkness. And I want you to compare that to Acts 26 and verse 18. Stick with me. Acts 26, verse 18. Look what it says here. When he's talking about Paul and the mission that God has given him, Acts 26, 18, look what it says. <clears throat> this is what God is telling Paul that he wants him to do. He says, he says, delivering them from the people and from the Gentiles into whom now I send thee, it says, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to what? To light. From the power of Satan unto God. Do you see how he equates those things? The power of Satan is where? It's in the dark. And the power of God is in the light. Now compare that again to 1 John chapter 1. This is the last one. 1 John chapter 1 verses 5 through 7. It says, this then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in the darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all uh, uh, 
cleanses us from all sin. Do you see? That's all you have to do is that you just have to come out of the dark and you have to come into the light. And that's when your fellowship is restored. That's whenever the sin is cleansed, when you come out of that. The power of Satan belongs in the dark. The power of God is in the light. And if you will take that sin and you will drag it, kicking and screaming into the light and confess it and show all of your deeds, then that darkness begins to disappear in your life. Exactly what these people were doing here. They really believed that they came and showed all of their spells, that all the power and all that magic and witchcraft, that the power would be gone. And what you are doing right now is you are desperately trying to keep that sin a secret. You don't want to tell anybody. And I don't blame you because telling people about the stuff that you're doing wrong is awful. I mean, there's almost no silver lining when you're actually in the confessing in the confessing part. There's really nothing good about that. It's awful. And I don't blame you. And you keep hoping that you can fix that problem in the dark. You keep hoping that if I can just get a handle on it and I can fix it and I can take care of this myself and then no one will ever know and then I'll be fine and that darkness will go away and nobody, nobody will be the wiser and I'll be just fine. And I promise you, you will never overcome sin in the dark. You will never overcome it in the dark. That is where the power of Satan is most powerful, is in the dark. That is where your flesh is most deceptive, is in private. That is where this world works best, is in the dark. Why do you think that's where we, why we watch all of our movies? Where do we watch them? In the dark. Man, if we watch a movie in the light, my, Madison has a fit. She's like, that ruins the ambiance, Dad. We gotta watch it in the dark. That's where the, all the deeds that you can think of that you don't want anyone to know about them, where do you do them? You do them in the dark. If you do them in the light, you're kind of weird. You got extra problems, okay? But you do them in the dark. <laughs> That's where it is most powerful. And you are never going to overcome that sin in the dark. That's the power that that sin has over you is only in your ability to keep it a secret, but if you will come and confess and show your deeds, then that spell, if I can use that term, will be broken. I know it's hard, but you have to. It's a matter of survival. You have to come and you have to confess it. But if that's not bad enough, um, it's not enough to do that. Because look what they did next. It says right there in the verse that they came and they took all their books of the curious arts and what did they do with them? They burned it. That's the next thing. That's the fourth thing you have to do. You have to fear God. You have to believe his word that, so that you will obey it. You have to come and confess your deeds and show your deeds. But then fourthly, lastly, lastly you have to burn it all. Burn it all. They burnt all that had to do with the darkness. We have to get rid of anything that is connected to Satan or our sins in particular, anything that is connected to that. We cannot hold on to any of it. You have to decide that you're going to burn it, not bury it. Burying it does not accomplish the work. You cannot bury it, but that's what we like to do. This is how we often confess. We even muster up the courage to confess, but we don't burn it. We bury it. 
And we know exactly why we do that, don't we? Because we know that we're coming back later to dig it back up. We know that we're doing that. We think to ourselves, man, it's such a mystery to me. I don't understand why I keep doing the same stupid crap over and over again. I can't figure it out why I keep doing that. And you know exactly why you're doing it. Because you play the game of confession. You play the game of belief. You play the game of fear in the Lord. But you know that in your schedule, you are self-sabotaging yourself all the time. You're putting yourself right in line and you're making all your plans so that you will be alone and have to deal with that sin so that you will fail. You know that you're doing that. You set yourself up to get engaged in that sin once again. And we do that and we think, oh, it's just must be sub. No, it's not subconscious. You're doing it on purpose and you know that you're doing it and you're playing games with yourself. You're deceiving yourself the same way you're deceiving all those that are around you. You self-sabotage yourself because you leave that sin accessible I had a friend of mine that was having trouble with porn. It really is a friend, okay? I'm not saying that like in the, it really was a friend, you know? <laughs> having problems with porn in his life. And he goes to his pastor, and this is back in the day. You remember back in the days when we had modems and dial-up? Man, didn't that suck? That was awful. And uh, you have to hear that screeching sound. It sounded like you were, you know, boiling a witch or something. <laughs> And you had to listen to that, and you got the dial up, and it took forever to do anything. And so it was back in those days. So, I mean, this guy, I mean, if you're addicted to porn back in that time, you're dedicated. <laughs> you're dedicated. Because the buffering is going to kill you, right? And so he's really committed. And he's telling his pastor, he's like, man, I have so much trouble with this, and I don't know what to do. And the pastor says, I'm, I'm going to help you. He's like, really? He's like, yeah, I'm gonna help you. So he said, let's go to your house. So he goes to his house. He goes in his house. He grabs his modem and he rips it out of the wall. He said, problem solved. And he just left. <laughs> the guy's like, what the heck? I, I don't understand. He's like, well, and, and guess what? At least that night, I mean, that was before we had access wirelessly. Now we have all kinds of reasons to send but back then, he was, you know what? At least that night, he didn't look at any porn. I promise you that. Now, maybe the next day he figured out a new way, but at least that night, he fixed the problem. But we know, it's like we're sitting in our house, you know, sweating. We got all access to whatever it is you want, you know, and you're sweating it out and you're thinking, oh man, I'm gonna try to defeat. No, you're not trying to defeat it because if you really wanted to defeat it, you would burn it. You don't want to burn it because you want to fail because you enjoy it that much. The bottom line is, is that you love that sin more than you love your father. And you're going to keep it on life support as long as you can. You may bury it in front of everybody else, but you're going to go back later at night and you're going to dig it up. You have to burn it. We cannot bury it. We have to burn it all. Let me ask you a question. Isn't this exactly how our father is going to deal with everything in the end? How does he deal with sin ultimately? He's going to throw it in the fire. And I think that we should deal with things the same way he does. Should we be willing to take that? And I'm being literal. If that's a physical thing, that you, you take whatever it is. 
and you burn it. If it's a relationship, you burn that bridge. You tell that person that's a negative influence for sin in your life, you tell them, listen, I do not like you. I do not want you in my life. I want you to delete my number because I'm going to delete yours. Don't ever talk to me again. Please leave. You need to burn the bridge. Well, I'm going to try to win them to cry. No, you're not. You're going to keep them in your life so they can keep contaminating your environment as long as you possibly can because you love the sin. Stop lying to yourself about this problem. We keep these things in our life because we know we want this sin so much. You've got to burn that bridge. Burn that thing, whatever it is. I remember <laughs> I had this television in my office. And by office, I mean the garage out in the back of our house in Chislehurst. It was so, oh my gosh, it was so funny because I'd be out there working right there. But every once in a while, you know, I'd click on the television and I was complaining to my wife. I'd like, you know, I'm watching some of this TV out there and I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And so the next day I come out and I go to click it on. I already confessed it to her, but I'm, I'm digging it back up now. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I just buried it. Now I'm going to turn it back on. I'm going to watch a little bit and it's not coming on. I'm like, what's the problem? I go back there to look at it. My wife came in and cut the cord <laughs> with scissors. Isn't she wonderful? Give her a round of applause. She deserves some for that. And you know what happened? I didn't watch any TV. It's not complicated. It's not a mystery. All you got to do is burn it. Get rid of it, whatever it is, and I promise you, it will be gone. If it is gone, I promise it will be gone. That's not magic. The Word of God is the only way to prevail. It's not magic that we want. It's not rituals. That's what we, that's what we love. We'd love it if it was some magic ritual that someone could perform in us, and all of a sudden we would just want what was righteous. But that's not the way it works. To be more specific, the way you respond to the word is the way that you can have real victory in your life. Listen, you are not waiting on God to have victory. Can I just tell you something real quick? Okay, we're out of time. Ladies, whenever your man tells you, listen, baby, I really want to change, but it just takes time. He is lying to you. He's lying. He's looking because he knows he can't give it up today. He's looking for a little reprieve so that he can enjoy that sin for just a little bit longer. And he's not even thinking about the future. He's not even thinking that it's going to come home to roost. He doesn't even care. All he wants is to enjoy that sin for a little bit longer. And he's like an addict and he will do it and say whatever he has to say just to enjoy it a little bit longer if that's all he gets. And they say, baby, it just takes time. You just have to be patient. You know, you're like 56 in a retirement home. Just be patient with me, baby. How long are we going to perpetuate this lie? Listen, growth, growth takes time, but obedience, that's immediate. It's in the moment. That's right now. Who are you going to believe? Who are you going to trust? Are you going to do right or are you going to do wrong? That's now. That's immediate. And I promise you that if you guys will be obedient to God's word, then your ladies will see that. I don't mean to pick on the guys, but let's face it, we got the most problems, okay? 
So God has given you the power to obey, right? He's given you the Holy Spirit. He's given you his word. He's given you his church. He's given you everything that you need for a life in godliness. Is that not right? You are not waiting on God to deliver you from your sin. And we pray, oh God, deliver me. God's like, what do you want me to do, man? I've given you everything. I put my Holy Spirit inside of you to give you that new want to for righteousness. I've given you my word to tell you exactly how to do it. I put my entire church around you to support you in this effort. And here you are praying for me to deliver you. God, please show me your will. And God's like, I want you to show me yours. Where is your will to choose to do what is right? You have the ability to say no. And you should not pretend that you don't. You have the ability to do the right thing. Don't pretend that you don't. Growth does take time, but obedience is immediate. God's given you the power. These people in this passage, they were involved in deep, dark, spiritual wickedness. And you know what they did? They just walked away. The deepest kind of spiritual darkness. And what did they do? They just walked away. And you know what? So can you. So can you. Paul had the power to do miracles, but you know what he spent his time doing? Proclaiming God's word. Because he knows that obedience to God's word is how we overcome the wicked one, not through magic tricks. How you respond to the teaching that you are getting this week is the key. How you respond to it. Listen to what Pastor George is telling us. Listen to what Pastor Mark is telling us. Take what I'm saying with a grain of salt. But these guys, listen to what they're telling you and respond to that teaching with obedience. You don't need to overcome your fears. You need to fear your heavenly father. You don't need to believe in yourself. You need to believe what God's word has to say. You don't need counseling. You need to come clean and confess what you're doing is wrong. That's the biggest problem with counseling is everyone sitting in the room together all lying to each other. I guarantee if you would just confess and show your deeds, the counseling session would be like three sessions long. We could fix some real problems if we would come clean and confess what the real sin is. You don't need to accept your shortcomings you need to burn it all to the ground. I promise you that if you will do that, then the word of God will prevail, not just in your church, not just in your marriage, but in your life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word, and I just pray that you please help us, Lord, to take this and just to do it, just to do it, to fear you, believe your word, confess our sin, and burn it all. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.